Welcome to Improv Beat by Beat. I'm Curtis Rutherford. I interviewed 24 different improvisers and then edited together chunks of those interviews to investigate different aspects of improv one piece at a time. This is episode five, Openings. Once a team gets a suggestion, it's time for them to agree on what that suggestion means to them. The entire team must, in some way, come together and say, these are the ideas we're going to develop over the course of this Herald. It's both about group mind, about everyone agreeing on the same ideas, and it's about presentation, about saying to the audience, this is what you're going to see, and these are the improvisers who are going to show it to you. In New York City, Herald teams do an opening of their choosing, while Lloyd teams do a pattern game opening. We'll go more specifically into the pattern game opening in episode 7. Opening up this episode on openings is Jessica Morgan. What's your favorite part of the Herald? Ooh, the opening. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Uh, That's how I feel about every story. <laughs> every movie, every book, every TV show, every show I see, I love beginnings. I love exposition. And to me, the Herald isn't, you know, it's not that set, set up to be a linear narrative, but the possibility, this is so corny, I've been very corny today, but the possibility of what's going to happen is my favorite part. And I, and I work really hard on openings, and I love openings, and I, when you're painting the world, I love that. That's the best part to me. The first act of the musical mm-hmm. is my favorite part. When, before things get bad, when we meet the characters, when we find out what they want. Right. Um, I, it, it bums me out to see people not get what they want, even if it's just for a few times before they win their hero's yeah. journey. I'm much more interested in the beginning of a story than how it ends up. Sure. What if it was just an hour and a half of Belle wandering around reading books? I would love That'd be that. great. Or, so an hour and a half of Belle wandering around reading books and then, you know, meeting the, the, the beast at the castle. Even I will give you up to, I will give you, I like the beginning of a story up to the climax. And then I, I can't tell you how many books, TV shows, and movies I have not finished. I start them and I'm like, great, I got what I wanted. I know Curtis hates this, but I know it's very different for the Herald, but I still, it's still the same love that I have for things mm-hmm. with narrative. It is the possibility of yeah. what can happen. And the energy. You haven't fucked up your Herald yet. Right. You haven't screwed anything up yet when you're in the, at the top. Walking on stage, dancing, getting the suggestion, and then starting your opening is the, my favorite part of the Herald. So you mentioned painting the world and those opportunities. So mm-hmm. are there any openings that you feel like these are the things that, especially for what you love about it, these are the openings you love doing? Sleepover. Sleepover was the best I have ever felt on the Herald Night. So what's the sleepover? So the sleepover is when you get a suggestion and the eight performers, I'll be very specific about the staging of this because that's important to me. And I'll also say if you're going to do a pattern game or something that requires you to be in a semicircle, just do it and do it well. Stand shoulder to shoulder, be present, don't bemoan the semicircle if that's what it's called for mm-hmm. I, I am very I, I like it's important staging is important but so for the sleepover the eight or however many people you have for Harold Knight um, stand on the back line and one person after the suggestion will powerfully walk forward plant themselves in a character 
and have basically a character thesis statement or a line of dialogue through the lens of that character. Usually a justification for behavior. Just like if you can get that out in a pattern game, if you can justify something in a pattern game, you are doing so much of your heavy lifting early. That's great. If you can do that in the sleepover, fantastic. If not, it's just a fun, goofy line or a sound or something, but in a character. And then each person slowly walks out and plants themselves on the stage in a different spot and says their line. And so if person number one's was garbage is my favorite they will repeat that at slow intervals and then as more people come on they will add theirs in and it's like an overture in a way Mm -hmm. to a musical and you're you're peppering in what we're gonna see potentially later and then you build up to like a pretty big cacophony of everyone saying their line on stage at the same time and it's it's the best Mm -hmm. i love it i just love i think it's very theatrical it gives you rich characters to play with and And it had that feeling of like it was like a sound tableau, mm-hmm. which is not something that you hear that much mm-hmm. of people really playing with sound as much in an opening. And I would say a true, a true sound and movement to me is like the greatest thing I've ever seen. I've only been a part of a really good sound and movement maybe once or twice, but when that happens, that is better than any other opening. Yeah, I love because it takes so much vulnerability and humility and group mind and sync like just being synced up with your partners to do a really good sound and movement. And when they go well, damn, they are so so good. And you can pull everything. Yes, and I think it's also I think it works for a lot of different mm-hmm. types of players. I like sound and movement because it's very much, oh, I can pull from either voice or body and I can just instantly get right back into that character as opposed to am I thinking of a statement or a game, which I can also do from sound and movement. Like mm-hmm. it plays on all those different strengths that different people have. Yeah. So you said you've been a, a part of a couple great ones. What made the great sound and movements great? There was no pressure to figure anything out. We weren't worried about time. I think levels, like making interesting stage pictures, really just letting go. I think the best ones I've ever been a part of, just people really let go. And this is so terrible, but the ones that bum me out the most are the ones that are going well and then a line of dialogue is inserted. And I'm like, that's not what we're doing. So you like no dialogue at all? If we're if if it is beforehand, if we've said we're doing a sound and mu- movement, a pure sound and movement, then it is sounds, and it is movement. Interesting. Okay. I am all about no dialogue and a sound and movement. But if we're gonna do more like a flockingy thing, where mm-hmm. it's a lot of sound and movement, and then we kind of build a line out of it, then let's do that. Let's not half-ass a sound and movement. If we're really gonna do it, it is just sound and it is just movement, in my opinion. But I think mm-hmm. that, and also if you think of it. Distin said this, and I, it's, or I don't know who said this exactly, but I, I remember Distin repeating it if he didn't originate this thought. The idea that every opening is a pattern game. Yeah. And I believe that. And I think that if you go boldly into the sound of, and movement and say, we're not going to use dialogue, but this is essentially a pattern game, I think it would free people up to feel less obligated to talk. Anytime... I work with a group on sound and movement. I have them do a couple pattern games. Yeah. Because it's the exact same rhythm. Mm -hmm. I want to see you guys be in that hallway, be a bit, oh, we're exploring, we're accruing data about this, we're building this brick by brick. Mm -hmm. Now we know what it is. This is so many different metaphors. Now we know what it is. (laughs) Let's go in. Let's all explore this one idea. And as soon as like it's some people exploring an idea and some people not, Mm -hmm. it collapses. Yeah. 
or if they stay in that one idea too long and let that idea become several different ideas. Rather, we were in this idea, now we can relax Mm -hmm. and go back into that building up and exploring again together. Yeah, if you think of every opening as a pattern game, I think it gives us the structure that has been... So we've been taught to love the Herald. Like, we've been taught to do the Herald, and so we've been taught to see the benchmarks of structure as success points. Like we had a successful first beat or we got through our first beat. We got through our our group game. So having a, an opening and being like, it's kind of whatever kind of negates what we've been taught to love about a Herald. So allowing ourselves to have these signposts on our opening, I think it's just going to, it's helpful. It's just more helpful. Another thing I'll say, I love the pattern game. Yeah. I love the pattern game. Took me a while to love it. But the thing that got me to love it is not needing to be cool and not needing to be coy. Everything that I think is important in good scene work. The humility to take your time and just check in with everyone. Because that's, I believe, in the training wheels pattern game. I have a really hard time thinking that there are students who learn the pattern game not broken up into chunks and being mm-hmm. told, okay, so you two are going to A to C. Okay, so you two are going to pitch a premise. Okay, you two are going to riff on that premise. And okay, you two are going to restate the premise. Mm-hmm. It bugs me to death that we're just like, okay, so this is a pattern game. It's kind of like this, and that's a little bit of that. If we're taught the Herald broken down so in such like minute little points, then I think breaking down the pattern game and giving people training wheels is only going to set up for success. Mm-hmm. I really, really, really think that's important. Yeah. Because then you can fall in love with it because you know what the rules are. You know, I mean, everyone has a different way of teaching it, and I do get that, but I don't think we should. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we should have different ways of teaching it. I think we should all have the same way we teach the big, hard opening that everything is based off of. Mm-hmm. Let's say you're coaching a group that wants to do sound and movement. Mm-hmm. What, like, big pieces of advice would you give that group? Use your architecture. Okay. So um, that means, like, stage-wise? stage Chairs, shadows, doorways. Shadow? Like I've never seen shadows being used. What does that mean? Yeah, just like if you like like the lighting on the stage at UCB. Think about how it hits the stage and how that affects what you look like in that lighting. And then if there's a point where there is less lighting, like all clumping in that, like that means something very different. And that's also very musical as well. And not in nature, but like um, just heightened. Playing with like shadows and light, playing with the doorways, playing with, yeah, the architecture of the space, the the very rectangle. Like I said before, like the very rectangle you are put on, does that doesn't mean you have to stay there. I'd, I'd say that for almost every opening, unless intentionally you are in a horseshoe or some other shape. Mm-hmm. If you're supposed to be moving around the space, use the space. But no matter what it is, do it intentionally. Do if it you are intention. in a horseshoe. Yeah, if you're, if you're in a horseshoe, you are in the best horseshoe that's ever been on the UCB stage. If you are monologuing, you are monologuing planted. You are not shuffling your feet unless it is a character choice. Mm-hmm. You're not shifting. Ooh, another one that grinds my gears is, and now you're going to see it everywhere, is the finger rubbing. Yes, yeah. People do it like and they hold their they hold their hands to the inseam of yep. their pa- or not inseam the seam of their the outside seam of their pants. Their elbows just a little bent. Their elbows just a little bent, and they're rubbing their fingers together, thinking. You, s- you see it on the back line so much, or in the pattern game, yeah. You know, it would stop that. What if people warmed up backstage? <laughs> Yeah. If you warm up your body and your voice, you are less likely to go on stage and stand how you stand when you're nervous. Mm-hmm. I think warming up is very important. Mm-hmm. I love warm-ups. I love warm-ups. 
love warm-ups. Are there other things that, other advice you would give people for doing sound and movement? Uh, Other advice, I would say practice it without some of your senses. So uh, if you can do it in a black box or if you can do it in a rehearsal room, I mean, there's so many rehearsal rooms without windows available to us. So take a sense away because when we have all of our senses activated, we're more likely, I think, to make choices for ourselves and less for the group. When you're a little more vulnerable and you either are doing the sound and movement without the sound or the sound and movement without the movement, to sing, like these are the building blocks, like or the sound and movement without the ability to see where you're going or the sound and movement with headphones in and you're just having to kind of guess. Making yourself vulnerable is so, I, I think is so important to understanding how to really listen to other people's bodies. And I think that, I don't know who else does it, but Delaney drilled this in the advanced study class that I took where we did, it was like uh, the dance triangle, the dance mm-hmm. diamond. That is the best warm-up you could do for getting in sync with people. And I think that would be incredible to do for a sound and movement warm-up. So anything where you are forcing yourself to not have all of your tools, mm-hmm. I think is a, is a great way to prepare yourself for a sound and movement. That was Jessica Morgan. The opening is about possibilities, about potential, not only for the ideas or premises being presented, but also for the people who are going to present them. Jessica mentioned using the space confidently and intentionally. The audience is also in an opening, taking stock of the improvisers. Do we think these people are funny? Do we think they're working together? Did we just waste our time by coming here and watching this weird shit? A confident, intentional opening puts the audience at ease. Hey, we've got this. It doesn't have to be funny, but of course, being funny never hurts on a comedy show. Also, Jessica mentioned how she loves warm-ups. For more about her feelings on warm-ups, check out episode three. Next up is Jesse Lee. The opening is such kind of like an, an underrated part of the Herald. I feel like a lot of people kind of view the opening as sort of like this thing you kind of do to do its job. It's like perfunctory and then you do it and you get it out of the way because you really want to get to the scenes. But I feel like the opening kind of sets the tone and the stage for the entire show. And I feel like the best shows are good because they were good from the beginning, right? You did the work in the opening and you obviously need to keep doing the work. But I feel like I, I enjoy like kind of digging into the opening in a way that I feel like is not really done anymore. Yeah, you know? I feel like a lot of people kind of view it differently these days so but also like you know the opening is kind of the first time you're really you're kind of breaking down the suggestion yeah um and it's also like the first time you kind of demonstrate how your teammates are going to perform dynamically like what what the dynamic is among among the teammates so it's Mm -hmm. like things that happen in the opening or like maybe problems that show up later in the show you can kind of bring back to you can kind of identify oh this is where maybe that came up in the opening you know what i mean like i feel like there is, it's kind of like the root, and it's not that it's impossible to get good material out of maybe a bad opening, mm-hmm. but it makes it so much harder. I think it's really kind of like in vogue now to kind of hate or kind of to, to be like above openings. Yeah. Because I, I, I feel like a lot of teams now aren't putting a ton of time into, I don't know, I feel like it's kind of passe to spend a lot of time on working on your opening in a way. I don't know, maybe that's just something I perceived in the teams that I've like seen and worked with lately, but like I feel like... There's this urge to kind of get past the opening in a way. Yeah. You know? And so, like, what are what are some of the flaws that you see normally coming up when people don't do that? I th- the opening is, like, the first time you get to get on the same page, right? And it's, like, the first opportunity to kind of figure out how people feel about a certain idea, right? You know, obviously, you know, you're not doing the most of the show in the opening, but, like, I think it's kind of the seed. Like, all the things that you need to, to go well in a show have yeah. to go kind of—have to go well in the opening, I think. Like, that's, like— 
the first chance to do it, right? Yeah. So some of those skills are like, I don't know, if you're like, you can notice instantly when someone's like not listening in the opening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or if like, you know, or if an idea kind of pops or like that moment of discovery happens in the opening, like I feel like that's like a lot of your work is done in a way. I don't know. I feel like there's, I feel like a lot of people just kind of view it as like an engine to come up with premises, right? Yes. Which it can be, but it could be a lot more than that, so... Yeah, I feel like it's more common to see the kind of like, oh, you guys didn't honor what was great about that idea from the opening right. than the reverse. Because, I mean, if the reverse happens, oh, you guys had a half idea in the opening and then you built it into something bigger. Yeah. Great. But, yeah, it, it's, you see that a lot of just kind of like, oh, you guys did a pattern game, you did whatever, and you came up with this idea. And then right. you guys did the scene and you like – half used that idea right which i think is very strange yeah or you know it's 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 one of those things where you know after you get after you get through a show it's like you get noted on something that a lot of times the notes are uh, you didn't quite get this thing that was so great in the opening but here's the scene you did and it was fine anyway right yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it always feels kind of like it always feels a little bit like a letdown because it's you know you know it in the scene too when you when you're not quite hitting what it what was so magical about that moment in an opening, right? Mm-hmm. I think there's just something powerful about that moment of first discovery. Yeah, that that happens in the opening. Uh, what openings do you like best? Um, or like, I guess even like broadly types of openings. Yeah. So I I actually I mean I think I really love the pattern game. I feel like a lot of people don't like the pattern game. I like the pattern game just because it's such like a it's it can be almost anything, and a lot of people kind of feel like it's a rigid, structured, inhibited kind of opening. Like you don't get mm-hmm. to do whatever. But I I think it's like the exact opposite. Like you can kind of you can create almost any kind of idea in an opening in, in, a, in a in a pattern game opening, and I think it's the most like pure form of like sharing ideas in a way yeah so when you say it can almost be anything do you mean like the form of the way we get to the ideas or the variety in the ideas themselves um i think it's both right it's like my team mermaids we do we do basically like a a bunch of like three line scenes right Mm -hmm. little scenelets and you know those you come up with great premises and they're very fun. And it's like it's very joyful to do them. But it, you'll always end up with like an idea that represents a scene. It comes from right. a scene, right? You never have that process of, okay, how do you take like something like a more abstracted idea, and then you don't have that moment of like thinking about how can we take this idea and make it into an improvised scene, right? right. Like there's no, and then even I think just that process itself opens up a lot of different types of scene work that you don't you know, you're not necessarily going to get from other openings. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, there's just kind of this, like, moment of going from abstraction to concrete that happens in the pattern game that you don't, other openings don't necessarily give you, right? Right. And especially, like, I feel like three-line scenelets often, but not always, lead into the kind of, like, contradictory response. Mm-hmm. Because you've only got three lines. That second line, if you can, like, really make a big swing move, right, right. it'll get a response. Yeah. Sometimes that big swing move gets a response that... Makes it impossible to get a scene off of. Yeah, right. Like, you know, I think um, one of the rules that we've kind of set out is, like, don't pull a rug out from mm-hmm. under each other, right? Like, that's not the point of this. You're, you're building the idea. You're still trying to build a scene, that's right? Because you still want to have the idea. But you're right. Like, it's always one of those openings where the comedy and the discovery is always going to be from something unexpected. And that's the range of things that are unexpected in, like, a three-line scene scenario is kind of like... It's, it's a different range than yeah. from a pattern game, right? And also, you can get great ideas from pattern game like loops or rooms that aren't funny, right? It's more like working with a blank canvas in a way. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel I just I feel like it's like a pure opening in a way. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I kinda like that. Um I do like organic openings. I feel like they're 
not a lot of teams are doing them right now, and they're very difficult to do well. Um, I think that's probably why a lot of teams aren't yeah, doing them. Yeah. Like, I just remember coming up, seeing a lot of teams be more aggressive and more, like, you know, you know, I kind of came up at the same time, mm-hmm. you know, like, teams like Fwand. Uh, Where they'd San, have, you know? like, that yeah. sound of movement. Right, right. Like At sound- the beginning, and then they would build it out throughout the show. Right, right. And I think those are, the like, it's, it's tough because, you know, I like when they're, when they go well and it's mm-hmm. really tough to watch it's like the violin right it's like it sounds yeah. sounds like shit when you're practicing but like someone who's really good and put a lot of time in it's going to it's going to be amazing right so i mean it's tough and it's it's and i think that's part of why it's good ones are so good is because you appreciate how difficult it is to make those things work mm-hmm. i don't know i i like i like basically openings that get people kind of thinking outside of expected structures right but again, it's kind of a time and place kind of thing, right? It yeah. doesn't work for every team. It doesn't work for every audience. So, I mean, that's why I feel like I gravitate towards them because, like, you don't, it's kind of a treat. You don't get to see them done well that often. Any openings that you just, like, hate to do and or hate to see? I think ones where people are thinking too hard. I don't think there's a specific type of opening that I, I necessarily don't like. Um, but that approach of but just kind of like, we are going to... yeah. Think. I think doing it because we're supposed to. Oh, I'll say this. People who create their own opening for the sake of creating it, right? Yeah. For the sake of... And I'm not saying, like, you don't necessarily... I mean, I'm not I'm not hating on, like, trying to try new things, right? Or, or create or explore new things or fail on stage. But I think, like, I do think that there are... I mean, at this point, improv's kind of been explored in a way. Mm-hmm. Not to say that there's no reason... There, there's no need to find new stuff. But if your team is deciding to create a new opening because no one on the team can agree on one opening, then I think that that's a problem you need to address first before you try to create a new opening. Right. Because you're not going to be able to create a new opening that works for everybody if you can't do one of the established openings. Yeah. Right? You're working on the symptom rather than the yeah. root cause of, hey, we got to agree on this thing. I think part of the reason why people are so hesitant to kind of dig into the opening is because it's such a contentious topic. Mm-hmm. Everyone has like a favorite opening. Everyone has openings they hate. And so like when you're on a new team, you just want to avoid conflict. You just don't want yeah. to talk about the opening. Right. And so, you know, a lot of times people are just like, we're just going to do what's easiest for this group. Yeah. And a lot of times that's usually not the pattern game. So yeah, unless you're on a late team and you're forced to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, which is also another way to avoid that conflict altogether. Just it, force people to do it. Yeah. I mean, my first Herald team, Greg, we made the Greg wheel of openings basically because right. it was like, are we going to do this or this? And I was just new on the team. I was like, <laughs> I don't remember how it came out, but we were like, yeah, let's just do, let's just make a wheel of openings and just do a random opening Wait, every single time. So who actually made the wheel? I did. You made the wheel? Yeah. How, I remember there being some crazy things that I hadn't, I don't like, I didn't recognize them. So like we got one of those like carnival style wheels right. uh-huh. and then I just like, they had the template, and I just brought the template into Photoshop and then just made a bunch of, like, I think it had 20 spots. So I tried to make, uh-huh. like, 20 to 24 different things. Okay. And, yes, yeah, some of the openings were, like, I read about it on the IRC, IRC wiki, yeah. or it's, like, somebody mentioned it somewhere, but I had no idea really how to do it. Yeah, um, but that's fun, too, right? That's yeah. almost like – it's almost like a, a suggestion, another suggestion in a way, right? Yeah. yeah. It, the that, last time cool. we – the last time Pat Bear was teching at Chelsea, we got – I think it was like a wild card spot, which we decided was we were going to ask whoever was in the booth, which yeah. was Pat like, hey, give us an opening. And he was like, do a town hall. And we were like, <laughs> well, we don't know what that is. So we like gave our best approximation of what did it, it was. Did it work? Yeah, it worked pretty well. That's cool. Yeah, I love that. Uh, how many of those did you get to do? 
I want to say like six or something like okay. that. Yeah, we did it for like a month and change. Uh-huh. And then it was correctly pointed out that it seems like you guys are using the wheel of openings because you can't agree on an opening. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's fair. That's, that's exactly what. Uh, that's funny. And then we'd like bring it back for like longest Herald Night or oh, yeah, shows yeah. like that. That's yeah. cool. That was Jesse Lee. A great opening leads to a great Herald. Sean Diston, who was a UCB improviser in New York before he moved to L.A., would harp on openings a lot. If you've done a great opening, if you've really worked on your opening, everything is set up for you. You can have a great herald off of a bad opening, but it'll take some work. On the other hand, to do a bad herald off of a great opening, you really have to try to fuck up that herald. A great opening has set your team up, and the show is now yours to take. Up next is Nicole Dressbell. We talked about the openings she does with her 401 classes. In the UCB curriculum, students learn the pattern game in 301 to do full heralds, but often learn other openings in the 401 class. Let's talk openings in general. Mm -hmm. So in your 401, what openings do you normally do? In my 401s, I usually do pattern game through the second show. And so then it depends on where the second show fell and how many weeks we have after the second show. So if we have three weeks after the second show, before the last show, I'll probably do a week that's on new openings. And for a long time, I've done what a class called monologue. That's what they named it. Starts as a truthful monologue. And then we backline is listening for the monologue teller to say something unusual. And then they tag in. And rather than do a monologue that has a few unusual ideas, we continue the monologue, but just highlighting that one unusual idea, which is hopefully a behavior about the teller like related Mm -hmm. to the teller and when you say a behavior related to the teller how they're telling the story or their presence within the story either one is okay either one totally valid so if i'm telling this story about a bank robbery and i just keep talking about like how nice the bank robber's shoes are or something it's like oh we're gonna focus on in me retelling that story i'm focusing on this or whatever yes exactly versus the fact that you behaved in a weird way when you were being robbed. Right. Yeah. Both then we totally might valid. add to that instead. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. What I don't want to do, and this is maybe it's so specific because I'm sure it would lead to fine scenes, but what I don't want to do is in the telling of the story, the bank robber themselves is unusual. Sure. I would prefer not to do that because now four of us, if not more, have already played the unusual behavior if we've played the Curtis character. Okay. And I think that that is really helpful because now half of our team has done that game, has just right. not just spoken to it, but embodied it. And that can put us in a really good position going into the set. And so we'll do usually four monologues, four to five tags each. Mm-hmm. And so that's monologue. I don't know if it has another name. If it has another name, please correct me because that's I've been calling it. It doesn't have a name. And I also do scene painting, mm-hmm. but I do scene painting painted by a character who belongs to the space. So as, there's neutral scene painting where you can mm-hmm. only say what you see and you're just a neutral narrator. And then there's a scene painting where you are a character and you belong to the space. And people tag in and they take over that character. So you should have a specific way of speaking. And you also can provide background information about the space. Gotcha. And since that character then belongs in that space, we have the additional thing to pull from not only of... What do we know about this space? But we already have a behavior somehow with that character. It lets everybody get on the same page Mm -hmm. because we're all adopting the same silly way of talking or moving. We're all getting into the same brain, literally, because we're playing the same character. Not literally. My classes aren't magic. Or are Are they? they? (laughs) We, We are able to provide background information so it's not just neutral. 
And sort of related to that, we are making sure the space is not the weird thing, but it's connected to a behavior, which is solving that problem that goes all the way back to pattern game. Mm-hmm. So then in your in your scene painting, it's not just, hey, this thing is weird. How do we play a game where oh, chairs like to walk around or whatever it is? It's yep. the person invented a chair that walks for some reason. That I just described a wheelchair. Yeah. <laughs> well, a wheelchair doesn't walk, though. That's true. But yes, 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 for sure. Gotcha. Um, and it might be like, uh, yeah, I just, I don't like walking alone. And so I thought it'd be nice to have furniture that could maybe go places with me. Right, right, right. And then we know a little bit more about that character. So what about those two openings do you like specifically for a 401 class? I like that it is much easier in a pattern game to not notice whether or not people are participating. You could be in a pattern game and not speak a ton and because it's like sort of standing in a horseshoe and where I'm standing in the room and the pattern game is moving really quickly. I might not notice that like involvement is not equally distributed, mm-hmm. whereas it's very easy to tell like, Curtis, you never tagged in in there. You're not putting yourself out there in it. I like that as a teaching tool. It's much easier to point to it and be like, oh, Curtis, that was a really clear tag. Like right when Joe said that thing, you made a move that did Joe's exact same thing, but just a little bit weirder. Did everyone see how that helped us all get on the same page about the game? And also you can say like, oh, Curtis, when you made that tag, you kind of missed what Joe had been going for with his tag and it mm-hmm. changed a little bit. Maybe that's a shaming technique. I don't know. But it's much easier to point out yeah. the mechanics of it in a way than in pattern game. It's really hard to, it starts to feel too abstract if you're doing it in pattern game. And each move, since it's getting that, 30 to 45 seconds of somebody either describing the scene or if it's the monologue mm-hmm. talking, you have 30 to 40 seconds where everybody is thinking to get on the same page. Yes. But also then you can see, oh, this is that 30 to 40 seconds where it went awry. Yes. Whereas a pattern game, it's like one person said one word and now it's off. That's such a good point. Yes. It is very easy to be like, you know, I think after Curtis's tag in there, we kind of changed and you were all doing that new thing, but it was different than what we had been doing before Mm -hmm. then. It's so much easier to point at and have everyone have shared that common, simple experience to understand it. I also like that both require of them a little bit of base reality and a little bit of unusual when we make our moves, which is not necessarily the case in every idea in pattern game. Mm -hmm. And so much of my teaching style is like just me doing the, this gesture of like base reality, unusual. Roller coaster hills, yeah. Mm-hmm. I do pendulum is how I think of it. Oh, interesting. Same idea, just like you swung this way, now swing this way. Yeah. I think I do the up and down because, like, I hate heights. And yeah. to me, being down is so reassuring. Sure. So it's like when you rest, you should feel reassured. Yeah. It's so, you know how to be a normal person. You know how to remember how a job interview works. You should be able to take your breath and just, like, enjoy playing life on stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you get to the scary high. And then you get to the scary high where that you wish would just end. <laughs> Heights also I find is a, better, a slightly better metaphor for that particular thing, especially because you can then go higher and higher. Yes. And each yes, move yes, yes, should yes, yes, be yes. like even bigger responses or feelings right. of all of that. Right. Whereas the pendulum is, not, is designed not to keep going further left every <laughs> no, time it yeah. goes left. <laughs> That's a bad pendulum. <laughs> you broke bad. physics. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was Nicole Dressbell. She picked those openings, as she said, as a teaching tool, but notice that with both, the specific tool she's trying to teach is group mind. She wants to see that each move is really helping to accentuate what the rest of the team has agreed on. They are openings where many people get to touch each idea, to mold it just a little bit. With group games, there's a motto that is passed around that group games should mostly be 90% yes and 10% and. 
Basically, since there's eight-ish people on stage, we should all focus on agreeing, and a little bit of anding goes a long way. I think we should think the same thing about openings. We should be yesing each other's ideas much more than we're anding them. A team that uses its yeses to really emphasize what was funny about the previous statement is going to have clearer ideas than a team that's adding too much information in a bunch of different directions off of each move. If everyone on the team yeses the idea, emphasizing what was funny, you're going to have a clear, fun thing that everyone's agreed on. Up next is Jenny St. Angelo. With newer teams, I like to I like to do the classic monologue or mm-hmm. like small story. I think we move away from ourselves really quickly in improv and forget that we have our own vast, hilarious, you know, world of experiences to draw from and opinions to draw from that other people might be like, wait, you think what about yogurt? You know, right. like that definitely make for more interesting, vibrant scenes. So I like to do that with people who usually like 301, 401 students who are so worried about doing it right and doing the correct way that they forget that they themselves are funny people. Mm -hmm. And just like who you are and what you think about things and what you've experienced is definitely fodder for a scene. So that is a big one. I love doing the doc. Mm -hmm. I think it it requires big, strong choices and matching someone else's energy. And I think that's really good for groups to do. Um, How do you normally run the doc? What's your breakdown of, okay, you guys, you're going to do the doc. Uh-huh. This is what, these are the, the couple big things to keep in mind. Figure out who you're speaking to. Mm-hmm. You are one voice. It is not scenic between the two of you. If they've never done it before, I put the rule of we believe sure. or we did or we are. You've got to start with we. <laughs> and it works every time. Every time yeah. you say we in a doc, it works. Yeah. So start with that, and I try to I try to have them talk about something they care about mm-hmm. as opposed to something they're fighting against. Just because I think it helps to to build an active something you have agency over, something that we want to see you do, not something that we want to see you not do. And then I and then I'm like, don't be out there too long. Yeah. Say you wanted to get just a taste of it, and and then either what I really like to do is I like to have two sets. So one side of the stage, the other side of the stage, as opposed to two chairs in the middle, right. because I think it's sloppy and it ruins the energy of the opening. Yeah. Like the, the physical. How like, do you how do arc I get around? The... Am I going the long arc right. while the people who I'm tagging out are going the short arc right. in? Yeah. It's, the, yeah, it's too much the choreography. Of the inside track? Yeah. It's too much. It's too much. So I, I like standing. Mm-hmm. I think it's more physically active and it actually allows you to change your physical status as well. Right. Like if you're looking physically down on someone, like of course that's going to change. Listen, we're here to tell you no more recess, right? right? As opposed to if you're all sitting, it's just it just it levels out your energy yes. and your status in a way that is not helpful for creating vibrant different energies. When I did the three-hander, it was me, Matt Denny, and John Purcell, and we did like a practice just by ourselves mm-hmm. once, just to like run a bunch of them. Yeah. And one of the things we realized after a couple was like, every time we started with sitting, the scene never worked. Right. And especially with a 15-minute mono scene, it's just like it puts you, if you're sitting, there's only so many ways to sit. Right. And it puts you all, like you said, on that same like energy level yeah. rather than we're already up and at it. Yeah. Yeah. That was Jenny St. Angelo. The documentary is one of the classic openings to learn if you're an early-ish indie team. It's very clear for an audience to understand. It's not wildly different from the scenes you're doing anyways, so you don't have to learn a whole new skill for it. It's great. Here's Achilles' Stamatolaki. Let's talk about openings for the Herald. What are some of your favorite openings? Uh, to do? Yeah. I like 
pattern game. Okay. <laughs> I like How come? So like what do you love about the pattern game? <laughs> that was the that was the um opening that my group Airwolf did when we were on uh Herald Night and I mm-hmm. think we did a good job with that and I think we also do that every uh, house team Herald Night or right. weekend team Herald Night DCM and I'm sure we're going to do that again this year. I also like how it's kind of no frills just like let's get the ideas out yeah. and let's get into our set. I so I like that, but then I also like organic uh, openings, meaning mm-hmm. not sound and movement openings, but openings where it's a suggestion and they can be anything. Uh, mm-hmm. You're kind of making it up uh, on the spot. So like two opposite ends of the spectrum. And I liked, I love teaching both, yeah. uh, both pattern game, just kind of your standard textbook, Matt Besser style mm-hmm. pattern game. And then also your more Peter Gwynn, Chicago style, like organic thematic uh, right. opening. I, I love teaching both. Okay, so organic openings. So you get a suggestion, and then... The broad definition for an organic opening is it can be anything you want, mm-hmm. which is not helpful yeah. <laughs> of, a, of a, a definition. But an organic opening basically means the suggestion helps define the not only the opening, but probably the rest of your uh, Herald. Mm-hmm. So like when we were coming up watching uh, Herald Night, the, the teams that would be doing the very organic uh, openings would be like the Shoves, Fwand, even like Ruben Williams would do organic style openings and like Arsenal, you know, like these like these were teams when I was like, like first coming to the theater that were like doing mm-hmm. uh, these very theatrical, physical, uh, weird, organic openings and, and shows. But yeah, all it means is uh, you're getting a suggestion and you're fully exploring that suggestion in a way that doesn't necessarily feel super structured. So you don't have the hard structure of an invocation or pattern game. It can be anything that's discovered in the scene. Sometimes people think that's like sound of movement, which is sound of movement is a warm up, not an opening. Like, oh, okay. Th- that's the distinction I make. Like yeah. sound of movement, I mean, sound of movement can be an opening, but mm-hmm. to me, the, it's less fruitful than the organic opening because sound of movement is purely physical and not, you're not allowing yourself to discover bigger thematic ideas okay. uh, uh, from from that. So so I, I coached the Herald team Slam Ball mm-hmm. and they were doing some organic stuff for a while and I thought they, they did it really well. Our goal with that was whatever the suggestion was, the suggestion was the show. So right. we, we have the Herald structure but if the suggestion you know was baseball, it's going to be the baseball Herald right. or the blank Herald. Whatever it was, that's going to be the thing that affected the rest of the form. So it revealed itself in the opening, it revealed itself in the edits and it revealed itself in the, the the scene work. So the organic opening is basically a way to purposefully integrate big thematic, more theatrical, like weirder uh, and abstract mm-hmm. things into the heralds in a way that doesn't make it just a textbook herald. It's, right. it's, it's like advanced level to me, yeah. um, advanced level heralding to me. Right. Yeah. So it feels a little bit like that version of when you make up a name of a warm up and you say, "Hey guys, do the, yes. you know do yeah. do the the macaroni and rabbits? You yeah. know the macaroni yes. and rabbits. Do that." Yeah. But you're doing that as an opening almost of like right. you got the suggested baseball. So then they're creating the opening on the fly of what baseball means. Right. It could take from elements of existing openings. They might do an existing yes. opening. Yeah. Um, so when I was coaching them, and I was doing this too a little bit with the Herald team, Sam and Diane. Do you remember mm-hmm. that group? Yeah. S A L M O N Diane. Um, so the way I would start out is I would coach them by just doing very basic building block, basically starting with sound and movement, actually mm-hmm. uh, openings and warm ups to start giving them tools to use in the opening. So, for example, one one thing that we worked on is 
uh, look for that first rule in the opening. So let's say we get a suggestion and then somebody just starts out doing something physical. So that means if somebody does this physical thing, then we're all just doing that physical thing and we're going to start defining what this this world, this opening, this theme mm-hmm. is through the physical thing. But let's say we get suggestion and somebody comes out and just starts monologuing to the audience in character. That's a different type of rule yeah. that we've established. So now everybody needs to match that thing and it can evolve and it can become something else. It can also be affected by the suggestion um, specifically. Like like in one of Slamball's like last shows that I saw that they did was the suggestion was like lawyer or court or something like that. So the entire show was done in and around a case, a, mm-hmm. like a court case. So it was like, I don't even know if they did an opening. I think they might have just gone into scenes, which is another rule in itself. Mm-hmm. Like if you get suggestion, you go right into scene. That means either the rule is we're not going to have an opening. We're just going to explore the world of this scene or there's going to be a rule within the scene. Right. So it's like, oh, okay. So the first scene that we did is between lawyer and client. Mm -hmm. So the rule of this organic world might be it all takes place within within this, this trial, trial or, yeah. you know something like that so it, it would be that type of thing where it's not just uh, organic can be a little bit of a misnomer in the sense that it can sound like oh you do anything you can uh, do whatever but actually it's very structured it's very or it, it's very optional like yeah. you can if this thing happens then you've eliminated all these other avenues that you can go down and now you have to go down this it's uh, a lot more avenue. pruning than just letting it exactly grow. you yes. really have to see okay so out of these things we are choosing this one exactly hey my teammate chose this one i must now go along or accentuate that same path yes yes And then so what are the pitfalls that teams can fall into with that? I think the biggest pitfall is that they are not committed to it, so they're not getting the fullest benefit Mm -hmm. um, from it. Or it can just devolve into the lowest version of it, which is sound of movement, which is just doing basically a sound of movement warm up Mm -hmm. on stage and trying to generate uh, generate ideas from that, which can be pretty tough because you're all you're just doing physical stuff the other thing about it too is like if if it does devolve to that you're not committed to it you're kind of just like oh my god this is so dumb i can't believe we're doing this uh whereas yeah like that kind of highest like peak level organic openings are so fruitful because you're you're establishing this whole world um inspired by the the suggestion that was achilles stamatolaki An organic opening is one of those ways to really use the Herald as a whole and bend it to the needs of the show and the suggestion right from the get-go. Also, notice that Achilles doesn't get as much from Sound of Movement. He calls it straight out a warm-up, not an opening. Others, however, get a lot from it, as Jessica mentioned earlier. There's not really a right or wrong answer here. Some people love purely physical, some people love verbal, some people love different mishes and mashes between the two. Different openings work well for different improvisers and different teams. You should be able to do all openings well and be able to enjoy any opening, but also be okay selecting one that works for you. Devin Ritchie and I talked about selecting an opening. Let me ask you, why does no Herald team do a pattern game? Often it's out of deference to the people who just came from Lloyd. So, like, for instance, like, we just got Chatane, and, like, we we would do any opening at all. And I think Chatane would, uh, too. But it's a excuses. little bit. It is a little <laughs> bit, but it's it's kind of like, hey, you know what? You just had to do the pattern game for, like, a year, two years. Mm-hmm. Let's do something. He did it for a long time, actually. He did, yeah. <laughs> and so it's a little bit of that. I think every team I've been on, though, has felt like there's been a fair amount of the team have been like, hey, we love the pattern game. We would gladly do it. 
but hey, you've done it a bunch. I just want to see do? a Herald team crush it. You I know? would love to as well. It would look great. And it also just makes it feel like a freshman thing to do, I yeah. think. You know? Yeah. In, there's some teams that I think would benefit from it. I agree. And I know maybe a year, two years ago, there were a couple teams where it was like they were trying weirder openings and they were basically told like, hey, you know, do the pattern game for a little what bit. What was that team? Maybe it was Greg. They span a wheel. That was my team. That was your, I, yes, I made that wheel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I kept hoping to see pattern game all, Me all the too. time. And, and like more often than not, it was like, no opening. I'm like, well, we wasted I, a lot of time in this show. I felt so, I shouldn't, I don't know, I put no opening as a wedge because it was like, I made 20 of those in a weekend or 24, and it was just like, uh, uh, fuck, what's another opening? What's another opening? Is there one you guys always landed on? I think we landed on no opening twice. <laughs> We only did it, for like, maybe for, like, four weeks, six weeks or something like that. Isn't it hard to, like, feel like you're, like, catching on with doing different openings every week? Yeah, a little bit. And it was a little bit of because it was a very veteran team that had done everything. Yeah. It was, oh, we didn't feel like the problem was the catching on. It was the excitement. And my whole goal when I got on that team was, like, you guys are amazing improvisers. I want to do everything with as much joy as possible. Yeah. And so it was like, hey, we got Town Hall. We don't know what that is. Great. Let's jump into this opening we've never done. Or, oh, we're doing Invocation for the first time and whatever. Let's just jump into it. Do you like the Invocation? I'm okay with it. What I, are you doing now? Um, we are doing like an, an Evente. Oh. So we're doing kind of like, it's kind of become like a more of a deconstruction. The same thing Sleuth was doing? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And we might shift it a little bit, but it's become more of a deconstruction type thing. But okay. It was a little bit because we as a team, we liked having everybody kind of like say, just be on the same page and just be out there together, I guess. Yeah, that's important, I think. I'm like doing something together. With Herald teams doing the pattern game, when there have been a couple like first practices where it is like, hey, we do that. And for Sleuth's first practice, I think it was Distin, like made us do the pattern game. Or maybe it was Kevin Hines. And it was like... We just did it, and because even though there's these like little tangential differences, mm-hmm. because we all kind of have that like Will Hines ish, this is the, or I guess yes. UCB manual, this is the structure. Yeah, you should see the side eye of what I'm like, you guys don't know we're still in this premise. Like, <laughs> yes, we just like jumped into it, and it was so fun. Yeah, so yeah. I'm putting it out there for Harold teams. Yeah. I want to see it. Yeah, okay. that would be great. Yeah, that was Devin Ritchie, and that was episode five openings. If you have any questions or comments, you can email me at improv at curtisrutherford.com. That's C-U-R-T-I-S-R-E-T-H-E-R-F-O-R-D.com. If you haven't already, leave a rating and a review on iTunes. It really helps me to know that people are enjoying these, especially since editing each episode takes a lot of time and is not always super fun. Anyway, enjoy doing and learning openings. Choose an opening your team likes, but don't stress too much over it. There's a common thing that happens with teams that aren't doing well. They decide, we have to change our opening. Uh, That'll fix everything. It rarely helps. It's normally not the fault of the opening, but a symptom of a deeper problem with the team. Often group mind or not having fun with each other. Do your openings purposefully and confidently. Add to each other's ideas. And... Again, have fun. Thanks to everyone who was part of this episode. Jessica Morgan. Hi, I'm Jesse Lee. Nicole Dressbell. Hi, I'm Jenny San Angelo. I am Achilles Stamatalaki. Devin Ritchie. And I'm Curtis Rutherford. <laughs>